Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. It's Women's History Month, and there's no better way to celebrate than by hearing from amazing women who are making history and changing the world for the better. Learn from leaders like Tori Birch, Madeline Albright, Ariana Huffington, Katie Couric, Valerie Jarrett, and more. Listen to Seneca Women Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Folks, and welcome to Movie Crush. This is Chuck Bryant in the studio at our home at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. And boy, howdy, I'm excited about this week's interview. It was so great. Had Griffin McElroy in. Griffin, as you know, uh, from the wonderful hysterical podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me. That's his, that's his main bag. But as with all the McElroy boys, they do lots of shows. They also do the Adventure Zone, the really funny show where they play uh, D&D with their father. <laughs> Um, if you haven't heard that and it sounds weird, it is. And it's really, really funny at the same time. His, his awesome brothers, Justin and Travis, and they're, they're great dad, but, uh, I'm going to have Justin in at some point, Travis in. I'm going to tackle all the McElroys, literally, uh, if I could. I wanted to have them all in at the same time, but that would have been Bedlam. So I decided to knock them off one at a time. So they came through town. They did a show in Atlanta here. Uh, went to that live show. They are really, really funny on stage. Just as funny on, actually probably funnier on stage than even in their podcast. It's a real treat. So check them out on tour if you haven't and uh, subscribe and listen to my brother, my brother and me on the Max Fun Network. And all their shows are great, actually. So give them a whirl. And uh, Griffin's pick was Groundhog Day. And God bless him. He's one of those that had no backup. He was like, dude, this is easily my favorite movie. And as you will hear, he said, not only is it my favorite movie of all time, but I think it is the best movie of all time. So pretty bold statement. Uh, and we had a really, really good conversation about the awesome, awesome movie from, uh, of course, the great Bill Murray, directed by Harold Ramis, also starring Andy McDowell and a host of others, including one Chris Elliott. Uh, so here we go this week with Griffin McElroy and Groundhog Day. So you guys grew up in West Virginia. That's true. So what were your – and you were the youngest of the, the boys. Um, this is about movies. Yes. And I'm curious how this that – This is a new th- – this yeah. is like a – this is not the first episode, right? No, no, no. This isn't the pilot. Okay. Was this tag two, three? This – you will be, I think, 12. Oh, geez. All right. Well, I thought I was coming in like – I thought I was a ground floor investor, but that's yeah, – I would say the, top, the first dozen, that's pretty ground floor. Yeah, I guess so. Has it, what are some of the other flicks that people, I was very self-conscious about my choice, cause I thought somebody would be like, well, I brought an Italian, uh, drama uh, from the 1950s. No, you don't need to worry about that. Groundbreaking and work. If it makes you feel better, I can publish this out of order and you can be like the third or fourth guest. No, I was being a, <laughs> a douche. Um, and feel free to say things like douche. Okay. Cause this one, we can say bad words. Oh, and cuss yeah. a lot on that? Okay, cool. You can say whatever you want. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> You're a shit. I felt great. You're a shit and douche. Whoa. <laughs> um, other people have picked, uh, had Janet and Varney on, oh. and she went with Tron. Oh, yeah. The yes. Ridge. I'm, yes. Sure, sure. Um, she hates it when people ask that, too. That's why I said that. Oh, no. No, I mean, she doesn't I hate well, I that. I don't want to be part of the problem. No, you're not part of the problem. Um, let's see. I had on, uh, well, Hodgman's coming in next week, and he hasn't told me his yet. It was originally Miller's Crossing, but now he's hedging. <laughs> um, I had Roman, Mars. You know Roman? Yeah. Uh, he did Jaws. Oh, that's a good one. And um, Kevin Pollock was in here a couple of days ago. 
um, in person because he's in town shooting. Did he do a movie that he was in? Because that would be a lot. <laughs> yeah, his was uh, – <laughs> well, his was – we did two movies. We did A Few Good Men and Usual Suspects. Okay, great. <laughs> no, his was uh, The In-Laws. The, not the remake, the 1979. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, it's great. Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. Have you found that like everybody has it cemented in their minds? Like, oh, I know what my favorite movie is. Some it, people are right off the bat. Yeah. Like Kyle Kinane was, you know Kyle? Yeah. Big Trouble in Little China, man. Yeah, that's a very good Kyle Kinane. Yeah, not bad. Uh, and it was his, – his was immediate. Um, Brandy Posey. Hers, you know, Brandy, of course. Mm-hmm. Hers was Cable Guy and hers was Immediate. Whoa. Romans was Immediate. John Ronson's was Immediate. I feel like that's a thing. Like, I, I probably couldn't tell you what my favorite song or band is. Yeah. But I could, I've could. i known my favorite movie for a decade. Well, and that's one of the reasons I started the show is because it's uh, – not to get too, like, corny with it. Mm. But it's a deeper question than, like, you know, what movie do you like to watch a lot? It kind of says a lot about someone. Yeah. And the reasons I found, and this is what I was hoping for from the beginning, are oftentimes deeper than, yeah, it was it was awesome. Funny. In Kyle's case, it was just, it was awesome, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Um, but most of the reasons go a little deeper. Sure. That's not to say that you have to. Uh, well, now I have to get all philosophical. No, you don't have to do that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And a lot of, and the, but then some people, there's a lot of hand-wringing about going public. With, with their fave? Yeah. So there's a lot of like, oh, man, I've got like 10 movies i got to decide. Um, like, here's four you choose. Oh, that's no good. That's bullshit. Yeah. You know? I'm here to make things easy on you, Chuck. I have one favorite movie <laughs> of all time, and it will never be replaced. Well, and I should say, too, um, we'll get to Groundhog Day in a minute, but um, that was the choice of I'm interviewing uh, A.J. Jacobs, the author A.J. Jacobs, okay. in New York next week. And his pick was Groundhog Day. Oh. And I told him, I was like, you got to change it now, buddy. Thank God. I could not. I I don't think I could think of my second favorite movie of all yeah, time right yeah, now. Yeah, you love Groundhog Day and hate everything I else. No, I have a lot of movies that could probably fill that spot. But, yeah, but, but Groundhog Day is sure. just an echelon above all of them, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's got – he had a solid second choice immediately, so I didn't okay. feel too bad. This is a case of like I don't – I don't think Groundhog Day is my favorite movie of all time. I think it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> and I think everybody else who's ever been on this podcast, except for AJ, is wrong. Right. All right. I just want to plant that flag in the ground right now. Uh, all right. So you guys growing up, what was your um, what was your like movie going life like early on? Did you guys go to the movies a ton? Yeah, we went to we went to a lot and we watched a lot at at home. Sure. Uh, I mean, we had all the, I mean, when I was like young, young, we had all the Disney, like clamshell box Disneys that are apparently worth like $50,000. Oh, we threw them in a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> um, and set it on fire. We bought a DVD player and we, we created a ritual fire for all of our VHSs. <laughs> we arranged in a pentagram around the, the DVD player. Nice. Um, yeah, we went to, we went to a lot of movies like, uh, I, I think it was probably difficult for my parents to corral three fairly rambunctious young boys and get yeah. them to sit still for a while. Uh-huh. Um, but I was always very, I was always very into movies. Not as much as like games. Like games were video games were like my main hobby. And yeah. If I had a choice between like watching a movie at home or playing Final Fantasy, like I would always opt for the latter. But yeah, we went to. Well, you we, grew up in the heyday of video game greatness. Oh, too. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the sort of the NES, SNES era. Uh-huh. That was my that was my upbringing. So that yeah. supplanted, I think, a lot of a lot of this. Uh-huh. R- my wife Rachel is constantly mystified uh, because I I never I didn't see a lot of classic movies growing up. Like that was actually one area of my uh, like film education that I just completely missed. You mean classics from any era, or do you mean like old black and whites? Like, or do you mean really, really all the president's men? Yeah, and didn't see French that. Connection. Didn't see that. Didn't see that. Didn't see uh, <laughs> the one that really blew her mind is um, I adore the movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh-huh. That would probably be number two. Oh, okay. I, I found it like just like that. That's a really good one. Uh, Groundhog Day is better though. Uh, I adore It's a Wonderful Life. Like I, I think it's the best holiday movie. Uh-huh. And there's some similarities between those two movies. Sure, too. absolutely. Yeah. I saw it for the first time when I was like a senior in college. Because uh, it was playing at a theater in Huntington. And I was like, oh, I'll go to that. I was like 20, 20 what, 22 when I first saw It's a Wonderful Life. I've and- never seen it. Oh, you're kidding me. No, man. Isn't that weird? 
I was here talking all this yay about how I hadn't seen all these classics. I know. I've never it's seen It's a Wonderful Life. I feel life. guilty for having – if I had known that, I would have made you watch It's a Wonderful Life. Well, instead. you know what? I'll watch it this Christmas. Yeah, save it for, the, for our holiday episode. It's really – it is uh, – it transcends sort of t- the time in which it was made. Right. It is. And Still I think accessible. It's super, super accessible. And the the uh, the romance plot line in that movie is like – So sexy. So sexy. <laughs> But also, like it, it, it feels the way that they talk and the way that they, uh, their their relationship develops. Like it feels like a, a movie that could have made been made like at any point in history. Like it's oh, wow. really remarkable. I, it's I feel like it's almost like a stubborn thing, even though I've never consciously said I'm not going to see that movie. Yeah, but there must be something going on there because how can you not have seen that movie yeah i mean there's a lot of holiday flicks to choose from and i think a a lot of the times when i want to watch like a a holiday themed movie a lot of the time i'll reach for a jingle all the way never saw it might be my second chuck that's arnold arnold is in that one Uh, yeah and uh sin sinbad (laughs) well i think that's probably it's probably probably my favorite sinbad movie um (laughs) It's, but like I reach for something a little more, you know, jolly. Uh huh. <laughs> because while It's a Wonderful Life is uplifting, it is also thoroughly sad. Yeah, sometimes, right. Sometimes, which is maybe not what you want to be in the. I mean, I know the movie inside and out. I've just never just seen, haven't it. seen it. Oh yeah, like God. I'll usually, I'm definitely a Christmas story guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like to the extent where we went and, uh, it's not like we traveled there just for that because Emily's parents lived in the greater Cleveland area in Akron. Oh, you made the pilgrimage? To yeah, the house? we went to the house and nice. it was, it's great. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, these days I'll throw on Elf for sure. Elf is so good. Yeah, that's become like a, a new favorite over the years. This is a whole different like subgenre of yeah. like movie discussions is mm-hmm. holiday. Cause there's people, and, and I get like, I'll get, I'll get in a fight about this. Cause there's some people who like, I don't like Nightmare Before Christmas at all. And there's some people who like, it's my favorite. I've never seen it. Okay. You're, you're probably okay. I shouldn't say stuff like that on uh-huh. a podcast because I'm going to just draw the ire of folks. I'm very particular about the holiday movies that so I So you think don't are like incredible. that one? I don't love that one. Uh-huh. Um, but like. See, Hodgman hates the Christmas, uh, Christmas story. Oh no, that's too bad. Yeah, you thinks it's something by I know. Uh, who's the what's the uh, Gene Shepard? If I remember correctly, it's a Gene Shepard thing. Yeah, it's a Gene that you, he doesn't like. They, why would he not like a Gene Shepard thing? It seems I like they know. would. It seems like they'd really get along. Maybe I know. Maybe that's maybe the thing. that's it. It's too close to home. He had a story that he wrote uh-huh. called a Holiday Tale. <laughs> yeah, Gene Shepard beat him to the punch. He's like, wait, you're you're a I great know. American raconteur and wordsmith. Yeah, I hate you. Yeah. Um. Boy, we're down a holiday road all of a sudden. Yeah, I didn't mean to take us there. No, well, that's okay. Groundhog Day is a holiday, so. Uh, well, that's true. I yeah. didn't think about it. It's a holiday movie in its own right. So you guys are going to movies, may, or watching VHSs a lot. Yeah. But really, let's be honest, you were playing video games. I was playing video games the whole time. Yeah. Uh, when did Groundhog, see Groundhog Day, how old are you? Uh, I'm 30. So it came, oh, out in, it came out in 93. I was six. This was not like – I watched it definitely when I was young. But right. I did not like – This didn't is see my the favorite theater. movie of all time. I love all the existential <laughs> sort of pondering that it does. Right. So that's kind of cool though. Um, yeah. Y- you watched it on VHS for the first time I imagine then. Sure. With the family. With the family. That's we watched a lot it. of Bill Murray. Anything with anybody who had ever touched Second City, uh-huh. uh, Second City TV specifically. My my dad was like, "Yep, yeah, we are gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna watch this film." Yeah, that's great, man. I get. Um, I've met your dad and had dinner with you guys mm-hmm. all together, and your dad's obviously the greatest. Yes, and uh, saw him on your show. Everyone loves your dad. Mm-hmm. You guys love your dad. Sure. My dad was not a, a culturist. Okay. So there was never – I think literally the last movie my dad has seen in the movie theater was the Bo Derek Tarzan movie. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. Uh, I think I remember my dad taking me to one one movie in my life. OK. Uh, which was actually a good one. It was a war movie, The Big Red One. Yeah. With Lee Marvin and uh, Mark Hamill. So this, is, so this is maybe why you didn't see a lot of these, a lot of these classics. Well, no, because I was into it. Like I had yeah. an older brother. Who would uh, t- okay. I have an older brother. So that's where the culture came through. Um, my mom wasn't even like – they were not super into music that much. They were like, we love Kenny Rogers and the yeah. Mandrell Sisters show and Hee Haw. Um, they sound like rednecks now. They're really not. <laughs> but they just weren't – I don't know. wasn't a big thing. Yeah. Like uh, I always want to ask my parents, like, what were you listening to in like the 60s? 
because you guys were young in the 60s. Yeah. But they grew up in Tennessee and it wasn't like – they're not like these cool former hippies. Yeah. Um, so I always get, long story short, a little bit envious when I hear of people like your dad that have great taste and are funny people and who – like my dad doesn't know what Second City is. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I mean we definitely got like an education. Like our our dad was very – uh, in in not intense. It wasn't. Like it was like yeah. He strapped us down to make us watch <laughs> Rick Moranis do his jokes. Right. It was just like it was always on Second City or Kids in the Hall or SNL. Oh, um, Justin, you mentioned your brother Justin was actually I feel like just as, because he is the oldest, uh-huh. a big sort of tastemaker sure. in the family. Like I can remember a lot of the movies I used to watch. Like I used to watch Wayne's World a lot, and that's I think probably one of Justin's favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So a lot of I think that is also a common thing of 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 siblings. Oh yeah, you know you thinking that the things that they like are cool for sure, and so you want to follow along with them there. Yeah, because Justin is how many years older? Six years older than me. Oh okay. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit more than that, but yeah, not that I thought he was older. I think I thought you were older. It's, it's all the gray hair that I have. <laughs> you don't have gray hair, do you? Oh, I have a ton of gray hair, Chuck. But that's very uh. Uh, the, a little on the sides. I mean, it's it's all throughout. It looks sort of light brown, but it, it's it really blends. dark brown with a sort of bright gray ombre. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very severe ombre. Yeah. Uh, if you grew a beard, it would probably be kind of gray. If I could grow a beard, I would do it no matter what color it turned out to it be. It looks like you could grow a beard. Come on. No? I can't do this right now. I can't think about my <laughs> lack of – it doesn't grow right here. And so if I do Oh, that, there are patches? There's, it's two patches, so it would be essentially like – a chin strap and a mustache, and that's a tough look to pull off in 2017, the year of our Lord AD. Yeah, you're right. Um, if I shave my beard, I look immediately like 12 years younger. Yeah, it just Looks happens. Good. It's I can't imagine you without it. Well, just imagine it. <laughs> Here's the thing: saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join Join us. If you want. Obviously, we never force anyone to just blindly... Join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please... Join us. On Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash Last Podcast to listen free. So you guys, uh, Groundhog Day came into your life then when you were younger on VHS. Yeah. And obviously at first it was probably – like walk me through that. Just a, just a funny, fun movie. And yeah, the, I mean, and the real you, meaning came on you, a bit later. When you don't dive too deep into it, it's just a funny – it's a it's a very good Bill Murray comedy. Yes. Um, that has a very cool, almost sci-fi fantasy premise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Andy McDowell is very charming in it. And, and that's a, sort a of long crush on that's her. That's sort of where America does. Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's sort of like when I was younger, like, oh, these are these. I get it. These uh-huh. are the things that I I enjoy about this movie. And it was always probably my favorite Bill Bill Murray flick. But I didn't until I was like m- much older and and watched it again. I think I like saw it on sale uh, on DVD somewhere when I was like collecting DVDs. Uh-huh. I remember Blockbuster used to do these sales where you could spend twenty bucks and get like five movies. Yeah. And I think I probably picked up in one of those. And I uh-huh. watched it and was just like, oh, okay. This, right. this is the best movie ever made. Uh, well, I watched it again last night and uh, Emily and I watched it. And it's funny, the Annie McDowell thing. Um, America does have a crush on her because mm. she's adorable and sweet and has that, a bit of a southern lilt. Uh, which... Did you see Magic Mike XXL? No. She is extremely good in Magic Mike really? XXL. Really? I yes. didn't know she was in that. Yeah, she just uh, – the, the 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 dudes, uh-huh. the stripper dudes uh, <laughs> just like show up at her house. Uh-huh. Uh, I think they're trying to get a car. Their car breaks down and so uh, – and they stay with her and some of her friends and – those, they, there's like a lot of scenes that take place with just like these strippers staying in a house and with Andy McDowell uh, <laughs> and and all of her friends. It's, That's great. It's she doesn't play. play herself, does she? No. Oh, God, that would be even I better. I don't think so. No, I don't Well, think she so. kind of does, though. 
Kind of, Let's I guess a little bit. Uh, but it was funny. I was watching last night and I was talking about my crush on her, which Emily, of course, was like, oh, yeah, totally. And um, But it couldn't be any more like early 90s sweet because they're literally uh, – the only skin – and granted, it takes place in the wintertime. But the only skin of hers you see in that movie is from her chin up. Yeah, sure. Like she's literally wearing – Shirts buttoned all the way to the top button and heavy sweaters and cuffs down to her wrists. Well, that's survival gear. From what I understand, like, when they were making this movie, they, they didn't make it in Punxsutawney. They made it in Woodstock. Yeah, yeah, Woodstock, Illinois, which apparently still, like, celebrates yeah. this this film. Like, they they go hard on Groundhog Day oh, for when sure. it actually rolls around. Um, and a lot of the places, that a lot of the, like, sets, like, they made a, the, the diner set where a lot of those uh-huh. things take place is, like – actually a restaurant now like they just kept it going yeah i i did a little research and i saw that like the the tip top cafe or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. they said hey well let's just but make when this a when they were trap. making the movie it was like below freezing every day and so that was uh that was i think a survival like everybody true. had to be yeah that's true yeah but it was also just like if they remade that today though it would be yeah. they would find some way to put um well to eroticize yeah, it. yeah exactly sure. she would somehow be wearing a tank top yeah out in the middle of the cold and it wouldn't be Andy McDowell. It would be I don't know. Who's an a- who's an actor? <laughs> who's an actor these days? Yeah, this is a morning thing. I was about to say Amanda Peet. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Amanda but it probably Pete. wouldn't be her. She'd do good. I agree. I like her. Um, so just for laughs at first, but there's clearly a lot going on. And I used to just watch this movie. Like I think it had been a while since I'd seen it, and the deeper uh, revelations came out. Last night when I was watching it. Yeah. Because I don't think it ever really hit me when I was younger and watching it that it was such a tale of redemption. Yeah. Uh, and I love that theme in movies in general. Like show me a movie about a person's redemption. Yeah. And I'm all over it. It's the best version of that in my opinion. Like it is – it, it it tells the most realistic mm-hmm. tale of of redemption or, or self-improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I think I've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does that in so many ways. I mean, what I love about the movie is it because it does not have an explicit message. It doesn't have an ex- – I don't think it has an explicit sort of uh, spiritual right. allegory uh-huh. in, in there by design. Um, I, whenever uh, Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin, Danny Rubin wrote the screenplay, and right. Harold Ramis directed and, and did some work on the screenplay too. Whenever they talk about it, it's like, yeah, it's not because a lot of people want to look for like specific spiritual meaning. Like, oh, is this purgatory? I've seen articles this... about that where people really um, have taken it to deep, deep spiritual levels. But because they don't have sort of an explicit uh, 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 meaning or s- uh-huh. explicit sort of message that they're trying to get across. Uh, with that, like you can really take out of it whatever you want, and there's a ton that you can take out of it. Yeah. Um. I I adore that this movie got made the way that it got made. I uh-huh. think it's a I think it's a miracle because it could have been so many other things. It could have been way cornier and yeah. like bookended with uh, sugary sweet voiceover or like reinforcement of this is what we've all learned, right? Yeah. Uh. And I know you probably know all this trivia too but early on um it was like a gypsy curse type of thing it originally uh well the the original plot was uh Danny Rubin who wrote the screenplay just wanted to tell a story about a dude who lived forever right. and what that would mean like what you go through what your day looks like when you live forever and uh-huh. then it sort of turned into the 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 groundhog day uh time loop which this movie Sort of turned into the, uh-huh. the 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 trope or you know storytelling mechanic that it, that it is today. Right. Um, but then the studio was like, oh yeah, we want we want it to be more three act structure, more of yeah. a, more of a straight up and down Bill Murray comedy. And so yeah, they had a plot line where in the first scene in the movie, Bill Murray dumps his his girlfriend. Right. Uh, I think while they're like shooting the the weather report, uh-huh. and then she casts a magic spell on him to make him live the same day for ten thousand years, and then it's just yeah. zany Bill Murray comedy all throughout. And I'm yeah. <laughs> so glad it did not go in that direction. Yeah, it says this. It said uh, a disaffected ex lover named Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie the the <laughs> wizard, I guess. I yeah, <laughs> she casts a spell on him to teach him a lesson to make. Uh, to make sweet love to groundhogs all over the land while reading Charles Dickens. Uh, I'm not sure what that even means. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I think that's one of the things that stuck out to me last night was like they didn't um, 
And not that it doesn't work, because like in Big, it certainly worked that it was the Zoltar machine. Right. And that was kind of fun. But it's never explained in Groundhog Day. Yeah. At all. Ever. Which is unusual, I think, for a Hollywood movie. Yeah. The uh, the original uh, script before that went through all these changes went even harder and that the movie opened up and you just see Phil, Bill Murray's character, uh-huh. living out this day. Right. And he knows everything that's going on. And you, the viewer, are looking at this because it starts in media res like – what is yeah, going yeah. on? Which I think would have been cool, uh-huh. but they walked it back a, a little bit from that. Yeah, and I think they even went back after they were done to even shoot the weatherman scenes at the beginning. Yeah, just so people would know, like, know like what, who, who these characters were. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of like the tone of the movie, uh, based on like stuff I've 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 read and and uh, like reports from the cast that I've seen, come, uh-huh. came from the fact that like they had this 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 script that they kind of found this middle road. Harold Ramis was like fighting the the studios to make yeah. it not this dumb slapstick comedy, which still would have been good, but uh-huh. it wouldn't have been the best movie ever made. Yeah. Um. And they had this script, and then Bill Murray was going through some marital problems at the yes. time, and was like really. Uh, difficult to work with and uh-huh. was genuinely like bummed out most of the time and he did not want it to be a comedy at all. Yeah. And so they, because of that, like they went through another round of, yeah. of rewrites and, and Bill Murray helped, helped out with those. And then I think that's how it landed on the tone that it had now, uh, which is a little bit more contemplative yeah. than I think this movie would have been if it was made by anybody else. Totally. And that's why it works because it strikes that middle ground. Um, do you know? I assume you know because you're you clearly know your. I know everything here. about this movie. I love it. You know the whole deal with he and Ramus. Yeah, it got they like broke bad after that. Yeah, so for those of you out there that don't know this, it's kind of sad. He was like you said, going through marital issues, um, very difficult on set, hard to work with, a very tough time in his life, and was bothering Ramus so much that uh, about the tone of the movie that Ramus eventually, and this was his like partner and best friend. Yeah. You know, through Stripes and uh, Caddyshack and uh, Ghostbusters and previous with the National Lampoon or the Harbor Lampoon, I guess, or maybe it was National Lampoon. Um, cast him off to his uh, – to Ruben, the other writer, basically, and said, deal with him. I can't deal with you anymore. And they didn't speak until he died. For decades, yeah. They didn't, they didn't reconcile awful. until he was on his deathbed. Yeah, it's very sad. Like that, that was going on while this is being made is just I didn't know in that until afterward that I watched it last night and I did all this research and it's just it's weird to look at it through that lens now. It's hard to read anything into it without because I don't know Bill Murray. I didn't know Harold right. Ramis and this obviously I think this would, this seemed like a pretty personal thing. I can absolutely understand sort of the frustration mm-hmm. that. I think there was probably a lot of frustration around this specific movie in general because they had to go yeah. through so many different things and it was obviously a genius idea. Uh-huh. But there was constant struggling to figure out what it was going to be, constant fighting over what it was going to be. Yeah. And then I think to have it done, to have the studios and the the, the screenwriters to say, OK, here's the thing. And uh-huh. then Bill Murray comes in right. and says, well, I want it to be a little sadder. Yeah. I can't like that's probably extremely frustrating for for Harold Ramis. Yeah, um, there had to be other stuff going on though. You don't not speak for twenty one years. Bill Murray because of the movie. I feel like Bill Murray is a very intense dude. He's uh-huh. one of my f- my favorite like uh, actors yeah, in general for sure. Um, but every time I see him, I'm like, there's a lot going. There's a lot going on in yeah. there. I bet. There's a lot of pain underneath that. Yeah, sure, and yeah. and yeah, and it's very very sad. I. I mean, I'm I'm still very sad about Harold Ramis's passing, just sort of in yeah, general. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, this is obviously also very sad. Yeah. So his brother Brian Doyle Murray, who was in the movie as well, um, I guess is he the mayor or? Uh, yeah. I don't. At, I don't. Actually at the very know. least, he's the guy that leads the the uh, Puxatani Phil yeah. ceremony. Um, but he's the one who was like, you know, you got to go see Harold. Yeah. Like he's dying, and uh, of course, no one knows what exactly what was said in that room. But Bill had a nice sort of. Uh, Tribute to him, I think at the Oscars maybe. Yeah. Um, very bittersweet though, man. Any t- the whole deathbed reconciliation that's happened a few times in the past few years with some of my favorite artists and uh, like bands and stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's always just like heartbreaking. Yeah, that that's what it takes to to work it out. Yeah, it's super sad. You know, he he originally wasn't uh, supposed to be in the movie, right? They had who Bill Murray. Oh yeah, yeah. I know they talked to Tom Hanks about yeah, being I mean, in the movie, a- which would have been something. There's a long list, and I couldn't decide if 
you never know when you see a long list like this if who, they were originally if it's considered legit, yeah. or I think Hanks might have been actually offered the part. Yeah, even. and turned it down. Yeah, but this is the list I have: Michael Keaton, Tom Hanks. Michael Keaton would have done all right. I could see, have seen that, especially you know, like back in the day. Yeah, this was like like Mr. Mom time. Well, actually, that was eighties, but yeah, he was still in that zone. Uh, Chevy Chase, no, Mm-mm. there's no way. Steve Martin, I could have seen. Yeah. Bill Murray's just such a sad dude, though. Like, to, yeah. Bill Murray's very funny, but he's also very sad, and I feel like that is the... Well, yeah. if, I mean, if Bill Murray hadn't been in this movie, it would have been significantly different. Sure. Not just the performance that was given, but the the tone of the, the film in general. Yeah, and, and he was... I mean, he was an asshole in this movie. Yeah, sure. Which is how you have that great character arc, the redemptive qualities of it. Yeah. I don't know that Steve Martin could have pulled that off. Yeah. He's never been, like, a big dick in a movie, has he? Uh, I mean, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Shop Girl to a lesser extent. Yeah, oh, I forgot about Shop Girl. That was good. Um, Alec Baldwin, no way. Oh, my God. Howie Mandel. All right, I feel like this <laughs> list is fakey, fake bullshit now. It may be. Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Kevin Klein, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, and Kevin Costner, and John Travolta. Would love to see the Mel Gibson cut <laughs> of this one. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it couldn't, it's, this movie is, it's, it's a, kind of a perfect summation of, of Bill Murray in my mind, almost in a similar way that Lost in Translation is. Like these are the yeah. two movies I think of when I think of Bill Murray. Not uh-huh. not Stripes, not which is yeah. A good, I love Stripes. It's, but... it's 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 just a big kind of goofy goofball comedy. Yeah, uh, and and weird uh, kind of a two part thing. Yeah, this is this is this is more than that, and that's it's the more than that. It's that little bit of salt that you put on the cake to make the sugar taste sweeter. You uh-huh. know? <laughs> Well, I mean, now that I know the backstory, it definitely all comes together in my mind, like that he was going through a very hard time because there's so much more going on in this movie yeah. than what, like you said, what it could have been, which is just, it's, I mean, it is sort of a feel good movie in the end, but it takes a long time to get there. And it doesn't take a straight path there. That's my yeah. favorite thing about it is that it doesn't have this this three act structure. It has like a nine act structure where you think, uh-huh. uh, even when I rewatch it and I've seen it a hundred times there are peaks and valleys throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie and i keep i all forget about them like oh he's he's you know finally had the good day with andy mcdowell right and then I, this is where it turns this is where it turns but no it gets very bad again after that for a long time and then yeah. there's the whole scene of him trying to save the homeless man, oh, man. in the alleyway which is so rough and you're like yeah. oh my god we're we got to be close to the end now yeah and that happens so much that it it feels like once he finally gets on that final upswing uh-huh. like it really means something and yeah. really it it's a movie about like fighting to improve yourself and to like put together the best day possible uh-huh. and because of the weird sine wave of a path that it takes to get to that point like it really feels like he earns it there yes. at the at the at the very end oh totally man because in in another version of this movie a very kind of Hollywoody version. He could have been like, "Oh, I get it. I have to be a good version of myself." Yeah. And but I just keep screwing it up a little bit. Yeah. Like it takes him a long time. In a Holly, more Hollywoody version of this movie, there wouldn't be an extended sequence where he kills himself over and over again. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's so dark. It's extremely dark, and it's it it. It harkens back to sort of the original idea that Danny Rubin had of what if there was a person who was immortal? Like, like what does that do to you? What does that do to you? Yeah. I, I, I am prone to spells of like immense existential dread sometimes. Like, uh-huh. I get, I get very, very freaked out thinking about just time, like the infinite nature of time and sh- like when I think about yeah. that shit, like it, it genuinely freaks me out. And so I feel like I'm drawn to media where, uh, that is an element and, uh-huh characters are trying to find their their path or a way to just like live when confronted with that sort of existential yeah. dread uh-huh. and there has never been a movie that has been made that yeah. does that e- e- even close to as 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 well as as Groundhog Day does dude wait till you get into your mid 40s oh dude don't you're, you're going to be it a sucks mess so bad already <laughs> you're going to be a mess just tell Rachel like send me an email or something <laughs> I like I really I enjoy the conversations about how long the movie takes place like how how many how yeah. many days of loops that there were uh because there's no like official company line on that. No, I've, I have a little bit of information on that. So it ranges um 
everywhere from ten thousand years was like the original, the second version of the script, sort of yeah thing. But that seems wild. That's yeah. that's an extremely long time. Well, so thirty eight days are actually depicted in the movie, right? So that's just the reality of what we see. But obviously, we know a lot goes on. Right, he learns to play the piano. <laughs> he learns sculpture. I think he learns a, a, like French or something like that. He learns. To yeah, sculpt. and he knows all the backstory of everyone in town. Um, but on the DVD, Harold Ramis said, and you might know this, that it's about ten years. Hmm. But then other people, it ranges from like forty five hundred days to twelve thousand days. See the Ramis to thirty something years. The Ramis quote I saw was that. Uh, in order to do all these things, we envisioned it to take a lifetime, right? Which is, you know, a little bit more am- ambiguous. I uh-huh. know there was also that's some, a good way to say it, though. I some think. scientific, like study, dove into like how long it would actually take to do all these things, and they came up with like thirty-four years, yeah. two months, some right. days. Yeah, um, that's really kind of fun stuff to think about. Though, yeah, right? sure. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in a therapist's office and get a behind-the-scenes look at what they're really thinking? I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm a psychotherapist, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. Hey, I'm Guy Winch. I'm a psychologist, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And we're the hosts of a new show on the iHeartRadio podcast network called Dear Therapists. Think of it as an advice column in the form of a podcast. Except we talk to you. But it doesn't stop there. One of the most frustrating things for us as advice columnists is that no one gets to hear what happened and how things turned out. But on our show, you will. We ask listeners to test drive our advice and come back on to give us an update. So if you'd like to talk with us about a problem, big or small, send us an email at advice at iheartmedia.com. We can't wait to get you on our couch. Guy, they'll be calling in. Yeah, but they could be sitting on a couch. But getting back a second to um, when you're talking about what would you do if you knew yeah. that you could live forever. And um, in true true to the character, the first thing he does is like, well, I'm going to try and sleep with as many ladies as possible. Yeah. And it never shows it because I think it's it maybe even PG, is it? Yeah. I mean, there's no explicit Bill Murray nudity. Right. <laughs> They're also familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's the first thing he does. And I remember Ruben in an interview said something about that. Like, yeah, the first thing most guys would do is see, like, how can I game the system with women? Yeah, sure. Um, which he did. And there's still never any schmaltzy scene where he's like, oh, well, that's not satisfying me. It's just sort of underneath the surface. Like through his actions, yeah. you, you get that he's eventually to where it builds. To me, like the climax is uh, the character is is the old man stuff. Yeah. And it's just so sad. It's extremely sad. There are very few points in the movie. Like, the movie is not explicit about anything, what the loop is, uh-huh. what the what the meaning behind it is. Uh, and, and you're right. There there are very few scenes where, except for the one where Bill, Bill Murray has just had the series of failures with Andy McDowell. Uh-huh. And I think he had all the, the series where he kills himself. And they have that scene in the Tip Top Cafe where he says, right. like, I've been – I've he like just sits her down and says I've been you know doing this thing I've been looping and there's nothing I can do about it yeah and she finally gives him that piece of 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 wisdom uh-huh. uh but there other than that there's no you're right there's no scene where it's like you know what casual sex <laughs> is not doing it for me and hedonism's not doing it for me so yeah. maybe I should you know try to be a good person yeah well and then after she has that talk which I think is just basically like. You know, it's all in your frame of mind. Yeah. Like, this could be the greatest thing ever. And that's when he wakes up the next day. And he's like, okay. And is hugging the guy in the hallway and is so friendly to the lady downstairs. But again, I don't even know if that's the final. No, because that's before, like, the homeless. He goes to the thing where he tries to save the homeless. You keep thinking, like, all right, he's got it now. (laughs) But he doesn't have it now. So great, man. Uh, The best scene. My favorite I crack up every time, and it's a single line that is delivered, and it, he has the loop with Andy McDowell where he kind of tricks her into falling in love with him right? Uh, by going through just like banging his things. head against this series of loops where he asks uh, – and this is where we see like the most rapid-fire repetition of, of days. Yeah. Like, what are you drinking? Well, I'll have a, uh, I forget, I forget what the drink is, but he memorizes her drink. And then the like next a sweet day, vermouth. yeah, sweet vermouth, yeah. uh, on the rocks with a twist. Yeah. 
and the next day he knows it and knows what to cheers to, world peace. Uh-huh. I always say a short prayer for world <laughs> yeah. peace. It's extremely funny. Uh, the way that he takes that information and uh-huh. like, sells it, I say a short prayer. But the best is he finally makes it to that loop. They have this fun snowball fight in the uh, after they make a snowman with some kids uh-huh. and uh, fall to the snow and kiss. And it's very romantic. And then he botches it right, right. at the very end. Yeah. And then he tries to recapture <laughs> that one perfect loop, but he's uh-huh. getting super impatient about it. Yeah, he's like it. really frantic with the snowball and you fight. you see all these failures. And it's when he's having this frantic <laughs> snowball fight with the kids, just – completely lost it at this point and he's cackling he's like I love you kids any of you kids up for adoption is the funniest line in the entire film dude I love that line because he sells it with this frantic like why Uh isn't this working it worked once yeah yeah it's so great man and the pacing of the whole thing like it's just masterful pacing because it it vacillates between taking its time and then like it'll pick up with that series of of the loops kind of happening really quickly yeah, yeah. and then it'll slow back down again. It really, it, it is just a bit of a miracle of a movie. It is. Like, you know, and I never looked at it, it that way until last night. And, you know, when I watch the movies for this show, I take a bit of a deeper look at stuff. Yeah. And that's last night. I was just like, Oh my God, there's so much going on here that I never really realized. Yeah. There's, it's, it could have been so many movies. Uh huh. And. All but one of those would have been a good Bill Murray comedy. Yeah, but you still get a little bit of just a good Bill Murray yeah, comedy. Yeah, it's, it's on a top very funny it. movie. Chris Elliott is also very good in this in this yeah. movie. Uh, he's he's not in it a whole lot, but it, and and there's a, there's a lot of really great performances. But it it, it is uh, it's my favorite movie of all time because while it is funny, it is also like deeply contemplative uh-huh. and uh, in a way sort of. Uh, an examination of like spirituality in some senses, like transcendence, yeah. Like, in in some ways, that just like there's a lot to there's a lot to to get out of it. I yeah. And there's no like uh, there's no mentor. Like a lot of times, you would uh, in a movie like this, there's like the wise sage uh, that, by all accounts, it would have been the the bartender. Yeah. That they see over and over. Or like God, like yeah, God comes up. down from the heavens, just like straight up comes down and yeah. it's like, you've been tested, movie ruined, like right. done. There oh. is no mentor. He has to do this all on his own. And yeah. I think that's why it takes him so long is because he innately is not a good dude. Yeah. So he's going to keep fucking it up over and over. Yeah. And also like baseline level, it's a genius premise for a movie yeah. that now has like, you know, Edge of Tomorrow and oh, yeah. there's a new movie out that I actually really want to see if I could still go to movies, <laughs> the Happy Happy Death Day. Uh, I, I saw that when I was researching this. I haven't heard of it, but yeah, apparently it's a sort of this, yeah, it's a like nod a, to that. Yeah, it's like a screen queen slasher flick, but she keeps repeating the same day and is trying not to get right. murdered in, in the day, which sounds like a neat premise. There's, there's a, there's infinite examples of it now. Yeah. And this was the, this was, if not the first sort of uh-huh. exploration of that idea, like obviously the best, yeah. I think, and the sort of one that established the, the, the conceit. Well, um, and it's, it's become, uh, like the term Groundhog Day has almost replaced deja vu in some ways. Yeah. Like it's part of the lexicon now. And I love that all of that comes from uh, Brian Rubin had written this script about a guy who was reliving the same day and wanted a day for it. And it was January when he was trying to figure this uh-huh. out. So he opened up his calendar and the first holiday he came to was Groundhog, Groundhog day. day. And he <laughs> thought like, you know, Groundhog Day is a holiday, but there's really no – right pomp and circumstance around it there's no like there's not really a whole lot of stuff other than they pulled uh-huh. the, the the groundhog out of the ground so i think i could really own this holiday yeah. <laughs> well he sure did he sure he definitely definitely did yeah i mean i mean i know groundhog day was a thing before this but this definitely like ramped up absolutely the awareness recognition of, of of groundhog day uh i'm trying to see if there's any more trivia that i know that you know um what are some of your favorite lines by the way uh or favorite moments? I mean, the any time where Bill Murray starts to, like, part the curtain a little bit and uh-huh. explain to Chris Elliott and Andy McDowell that he – I'm I'm a god. Right. Yeah. Not <laughs> the god. At least I don't think so. Yeah. That's a great line. And he goes through the entire diner in that scene and, like, says, this is uh-huh. Susan and she's going through a divorce. And That scene is so good. It's extremely good. Like, at any time where, like, he – Uses his his uh, his day loop as like almost like a superpower. Uh-huh. It's so like kind of refreshing. Yeah. Um, 
I think I love the parts uh, most where he is that Bill. I mean, he's the the greatest deadpan actor of all time. Yeah, we can probably say that, right? Uh huh. Um, so when he is uh, at his wits' end, yeah, uh, like that one moment where he wakes up and you just see him on the corner, gust of wind, dog bark, yeah. Fix the, your bra. The all time, <laughs> I'm remembering, there's so, God, this is a good movie. The part where he's sitting in the lobby of the hotel with all the old women and they're watching Jeopardy. Oh my and God. And he starts answering the questions before yeah. they're asked. And he does he just the, turns to them, just like, Lake Titty Caca. Yeah. And the women are just looking at him like, <gasps> Well, and that, it is the moment at the end of that, the last one he answers, he literally just turns his head to the side. And at the very beginning of the question, <laughs> answers it so deadpan, yeah. and they give him like a little round of applause. Yeah. And none of them are like, wait a minute, that's kind of impossible. They just all buy it because they're old. Um, God, I could, I, I, I love a lot of things about this, <laughs> about this movie. Uh, apparently on set when, uh, oh God, I forgot these lines too. Um, when he was talking about like what day he could have lived over and over, and at sunset we made love like sea otters. <laughs> Why couldn't I live that day? <laughs> uh, but apparently, when he got to set every day, he would uh, to Ramus, and of course, I don't know the backstory. They may not have had a lot of great interactions, but he would just say, "Good fill or bad fill," like which, because <laughs> he would get a little confused because yeah, you sure. know sh- shooting sure. it out of order, yeah. and it's a bit of a confusing movie anyway as an actor I would imagine so um, just like which dude am I I like that the groundhog used in the film is not actually a Punxsutawney an official Punxsutawney fill cause they oh had, really when they didn't shoot the movie in Punxsutawney people the like officials in Punxsutawney got a little miffed at that uh-huh. um and refused to let them use Punxsutawney fill but sent representatives to Woodstock to make sure that like Everything that was being shown to like represent uh-huh. the, like Gobbler's Knob and, and the whole ceremony was all accurate. And apparently they were very happy with how it turned out. But there was some <laughs> bad blood there when they were like, how are you going to make a Groundhog's Day movie? This is all we have. <laughs> we're Punxsutawney. <laughs> you can't even shoot it here? Yeah, because their downtown scene wasn't like uh, – didn't look like they wanted it to look. It didn't look like Punxsutawney <laughs> yeah. enough, I guess. Hollywood is sometimes kind of bogus. It's like, oh, your town doesn't look like your town, so we're going to do a different town. Make it look like your town. Do you know who uh, loves this movie? I found this morning. No, who? David O. Russell. Oh. Um, I read an article in The Atlantic, and there are a lot of deep dive articles about Groundhog Day, um, which is delightful if you're researching this stuff. But there was one in The Atlantic, I think, and David O. Russell when the interviewer called him, answered in the voice of uh, the character uh, that Stephen Tobolowski played. Ned? The, the, yeah, Ned, the insurance guy. And he answered in that voice, and the guy thought he had the wrong number, and then he went, bing! <laughs> and just David O. Russell hamming it up on the phone and just, like, talked ad nauseum and at length about, just like we're doing, like, how much he loves this movie. It's got to be, as a, a filmmaker or a storyteller of any sort, like, all stories are about improvement of some sort uh-huh. or learning something and then using using that information to better yourself or your situation. Most stories are about that. Yeah, the best ones. The best ones are about that. And this this is this is a this is a like beautiful case study yeah. in in that entire concept that shows up in in almost all creative works. Yeah. In a way to do it that is not cheap and not Easy mm-hmm. and and not straightforward, but still like remarkably satisfying because it's not cheap and easy and straightforward. Yeah, it ends up being so sweet, but it's not manufactured. It's like you said, it's earned. Yeah, it's they didn't corn it up at all. Yeah, which uh, could have very easily happened. Um, all right, so we finish up here with a couple of segments. Okay. Uh, every week, one called "What Ebert Said." This movie is a complete disappointment. Because I always like to go back and this see. This one's actually interesting. Yeah. Well, he gave it four stars. Um, I think this is one of the ones, and Ebert did this quite a few times, where he would go back years later and write a second review. Um, and it's not like he didn't like Groundhog Day at first. I thought he gave it three stars. I thought he did not give it the. He did. He, three stars is pretty good, though. Okay. Um, but he gave it a good review at first. And then I think in 2003 is this next review. Um, it's one of those that grew on him, and he saw the deeper meanings as well. So it's kind of cool. It was sort of critically like, eh, it's a good Bill Murray flick when it came out. Yeah. Why does this happen so often where like a, a movies only reach sort yeah. of genius level American classic status like a decade after they are released? I don't know. Well, maybe especially in a case like this, it is under the guise of a very light 
Yeah, romantic comedy. Yeah, I guess comedy. that's a good point. You go to it thinking like, oh, it's going to be a fun Bill right. Murray movie. Yeah, it's not like uh, like you go into Blade Runner 2049. You're like, all right, I'm ready to start digesting yeah. shit. Yeah, still haven't seen that one. Uh, so, oh, you got to I want out. to, so I don't, uh, well, can't I know, go to the movies. Well, I know, you can't go to the movies. <laughs> Last time we traveled for the live shows, uh, we... Did you all go to movies? We all went to a movie. Yeah. Because we were all, it was all just me and Dad and Justin and Travis. So we were like, let's go see Spider-Man. Awesome. Spider-Man was the last movie I've seen. The most recent one? Yeah, Homecoming. Yeah, that was good. Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah, me too. Uh, so here's what Eber had to say in the in the re-review. Uh, Groundhog Day is a film that finds its note and purpose so precisely that its genius may not be immediately noticeable. There you have it. Uh, it unfolds so inevitably. It is so entertaining, so apparently effortless, that you have to stand back and slap yourself before you see how good it really is. Certainly, I underrated it in my original review. I enjoyed it. So easily that I was seduced into cheerful moderation. But there are a few films, and this is one of them, that burrow into our memories and become reference points. When you find yourself needing the phrase, uh, this is like Groundhog Day, to explain how you feel, a movie has accomplished something. Pretty good. Yeah. And totally what I thought, which is, yeah, it took a little while, even for the great Roger Ebert. Yeah, sure. To fully get it. Uh, and then finally, we end with five questions. You can uh, just answer it uh with brevity, Are you about if you'd to, like, like inside the actor's studio on me a little <laughs> no, no, bit. No, no. <laughs> what is your favorite sound? Um, now, first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Uh, Jurassic Park. Fell asleep. Oh, I was young. I was okay. like, well, Jurassic Park was it ninety two, ninety three. It was right around this movie. Actually, it fell right, fell right the. And that's an impressive sleeping feat, by the way, because there's a lot of <laughs> dino yelling. Did you fall asleep before the dinosaurs? Yeah, I think I must have. Mm. I remember waking up and the the T Rex was pushing the jeep through the, the gate. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck is Whoa, going on? Dino- dinosaurs. I thought that was a movie about camping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first R rated movie that you saw? Oh God. Do you remember? Uh, in theaters or either one? Uh, the first R rated movie I saw was at home. It was Braveheart. Oh. Uh, yeah. Not as a. <laughs> Not as a first. That's a that's a hard R. Some at certain points. Yeah, and like also boring as hell. Yeah, like, except for it's like a great historical epic. Right. I would I would watch it and think like this is so boring. Why are people uh-huh. watching this movie? <laughs> and then the fighting would start and be like hell yeah fighting. But then they'd start decapitating each other and be like oh no fighting <laughs> not that fighting. Uh, the first, th- the first one I saw in theaters was that horrible. It was that black comedy that Tom Hanks was in about all the five people who were trying to. Uh, the man uh, with one or two burbs. No, no, no. It was, it was later. It was a later film because uh, I was seven, oh, seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was trying to tr- like they, these five people were trying to con this old woman out of their money. Oh, and, Forrest like, Gump. That was it. <laughs> that was the one. No, five people trying to con a woman. Oh, uh, the Lady Killers. The Lady Killers. That was the first R-rated movie I saw in was theaters. That R? Yeah. And it Coen was, Brothers. I did not enjoy that one. Yeah, well, that's definitely like probably that is my super least favorite bad. Coen I think Brothers. I snuck in a super bad because I wasn't old enough to see it yet. You were much younger than me. I always yep. forget. <laughs> uh, number three, do you uh, walk out of a bad movie? And do you remember doing so? Uh, I've done it. I did it once. Uh, and I was on like a kind of like a friend date like a group of our friends all just sort of went to see Crazy Beautiful with Kirsten oh, yeah. Dunst. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was a good or bad movie, but we were just not really feeling it. And so everyone was like, let's get the fuck out. And of we were here. at the mall. It was at a mall theater. And uh-huh. so like when you're at a mall theater and you're seeing a movie with like a big group of friends and yeah. you're all not feeling it, there's you could go to, you know, cuz you can walk out and do anything you want. You walk out and be in a, 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 a yeah, in <laughs> Orange Julius. Yeah. Uh, number four, do you have a guilty pleasure that you find you return to? Oof. And a lot of people don't, so don't feel the need to, you know. I probably do. Um, hmm. And if you remember later, you can text me and I'll imitate your voice and dub it in. I mean, this is more of a TV thing than a movie thing. That's fine. Because when I feel like I, I want to just like watch something and not like – well, you have a, a podcast on The Bachelor. Well, not anymore. We've changed. We've since changed directions. Because oh, really? Yeah, that 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 pleasure got a little too guilty. Now, now it's you do a show on Nova. Yeah, we, we do a show on uh, on BBC Classics. Um, 
So like shows like uh, The O.C. was – The oh, O.C. is a yeah. simultaneously a guilty pleasure and also my favorite – one of my favorite television <laughs> shows ever made. Um, I never saw that. It's a good one. Uh, yeah, I can't really – I can't really think uh, too much. I'm sure there's a lot of terrible movies that I – No, O.C. counts. I mean for this purpose. Yeah. I'm basically saying embarrass yourself, Griffin. Uh, <laughs> there was a movie I loved a lot when we were kids – called Kung Pao Enter the Fist, starring Steve Odenkirk. Yeah, I remember that. And it was him uh, green-screening himself into <laughs> old uh, kung fu movies. I never saw that. Was it good? I mean, no. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing it up here. Right. But there was, I mean, if you if you enjoyed infantile comedy because you were a, you know, 16-year-old infant, uh, uh-huh. then it's, it's gonna hit a lot of the, hit a lot of the right notes for you. Uh-huh. I would be, uh, I would be terrified to watch it today. <laughs> I have not seen this movie in many, many, many years. All I right. imagine it does not hold up to 2017 yeah. scrutiny. Right. It's not a Groundhog Day. No. Um, so finally, number five, uh, I just call this Movie Going 101. I know you haven't been in a while, but when you do go to movies, what is, uh, your ritual like? Um, I find that people generally kind of do the same thing. I mean, I'm going to sound like such a snob. No, you're not. But like this is the Alamo Drafthouse kind of got me here. Oh, like sure. they they this is the way that I watch a a movie now uh-huh. and I uh have a hard time uh watching it anywhere else. Yeah. I The Great Drafthouse in Austin. It's well they're all over now. They're they're in many many cities. Yeah, but point. I assume the original is where you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh well there's f- like five or six in Austin. Oh, uh, wow. We live 250 yards away from a draft house. It is extremely good. Um, I, you know, I like snacks. I'll get a Sour Patch Kid. Okay. uh, Large diet, diet Coke of some sort, usually maybe some popcorn, but that's very hit or miss for me. Okay. Um, but at draft house, it's like, I'll get dinner. Yeah. So you can eat in the theater. I'll get a quinoa bowl. Like, Uh (laughs) if you've never been to draft house, you just order, you have menus at the table and you write them down on little pieces of paper and you put them up on the little placards and they come and they bring your, your food or your drinks. Um, and so, so now like I, my, my like process is I will get like a tasty meal and a couple of, uh, beers. Yeah. And, they bring these uh, – they bring – they have candy on the menu, but they bring them in little uh, like Chinese takeout boxes. Oh, that's which is very, very cute. <laughs> but like my big thing is like uh, I get righteously fear – and I think probably everybody says this, but I genuinely like – it gets to the point where I can't enjoy the movie anymore if anybody talks. Yeah. Because um, it's like why are you, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to come here today and pay right. the $40 for the ticket if you're going to talk? And Draft House, if you do that, they, they, they kick you the fuck out. Yeah, I would um, think that they take it pretty seriously. They yeah. take it extremely seriously. Before every movie, they show this same warning, which is uh-huh. if you talk or arrive late, you don't get to watch the movie. You will be removed. Yeah. And This is God's house. <laughs> no joke, that level of, of intent. There's scary music that they play under it. Uh-huh. Uh, and they, they take it super, super seriously. And so, like, all of these things, like, I've always – I worked at a movie theater for a little while and – yeah. Uh, had to kick out a few people for talking, and, oh, no. and I despite like I it I it makes me so angry because it's so selfish. And yeah. So like, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to ruin the experience of everybody here. Who yeah. every time you like talk loudly in a theater, think about like if there's a hundred people there who paid fifteen dollars, like you are you ruining fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> worth of enjoyment. Yeah. Why? Like, stop. Stop it. And so Draft House, like, has all this stuff just on lock. And the worst is, is when you can tell they're doing it because they're just not into it. They're bored. Yeah. And that's the worst. I mean, if someone is legitimately whispering something to a friend, that's one thing. Yeah. But if someone's just like, fuck this movie. No, even the whispering to a friend, if I hear that shit behind really? me. Really? Oh, dude. Oh, no. They, you can raise a order card like that you write your food on. That's what you're supposed to do to tattle uh-huh. on talkers. <laughs> I'll, I, I am always at the ready. Because I can't I, – I, I literally start thinking, why are they talking? Oh, I'm out of the movie. Yep. I'm done. I'm yeah. Out. Where do you sit? Uh, aisle seat. Oh, OK. I, I have a very small bladder and so I, I gotcha. got to be – so, like you know, middle of the theater as close as I can, and then right. in the in the aisle. Got anything else? Other things? No, just in general. Oh, 
No, not really. All right. Go watch It's a Wonderful Life. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. I will do that. And, sir, I hope you get to the movie theater soon. Yeah, I want to uh, see Blade Runner before it's gone, at the very least. Yeah. like I don't know how to block out five hours of my day to go see Blade Runner. That's a but, toughie. Yeah. But um, good luck to you, sir. Thank you. This was great. Yeah. All right. See you, bud. That was a sheer delight. I did not know how it was going to go recording in the morning like this, because Griffin and I are uh, are dudes who who warm up in the afternoon with the comedy. But it ended up being really fun and funny, and insightful as well. Um, as you could tell, you know, Groundhog Day is a is a much deeper movie than you might think from sort of a, a lighter Bill Murray comedy. But there's a lot going on in that film, and I'm glad we got a chance to dive deep. Uh, really, really fun. So check out My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Uh, go watch Groundhog Day again, because why not? And thanks for listening in on Movie Crush this week. And we will see you next time. And until then, here's a tip. Mix some peanut M&Ms in with your buttered popcorn and just get ready to feast on a delightful treat. Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. The entire first season of This Time Tomorrow is available now to binge from start to finish. In this new iHeart series presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Osvaloshin, and Kara Price as we explore the exciting possibilities of the next generation of connectivity. From smart cities to future farms, you'll find out just how much could change with future 5G networks. Listen to This Time Tomorrow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Disgraceland, a music and true crime podcast about musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly, hosted by me, Jake Brennan, is back with Season 5. And you're not going to want to miss new episodes on Guns N' Roses, Jay-Z, Prince, Ozzy Osbourne, Nipsey Hussle, Run DMC, Selena, The Rolling Stones, and more. You can listen to Disgraceland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock-a-rolla.